Hi, and welcome to the Insiders by Durham Lane, where we get perspectives from industry thought leaders about strategies that are unifying marketing and sales cycles to help accelerate growth inside your world. Simon and I were joined by Miguel Avalos from Google for this episode of The Insiders. We covered many topics that I'm sure will resonate with you, from key growth challenges to digital-first leadership, from the impact and benefits of building diverse and cross-functional teams, to how sales and marketing are two sides of the same coin. Listen on to hear Miguel's thoughts on all of this and more, and of course his contribution to The Insiders' Spotify playlist. As always, I hope you enjoy the discussion. Hello and welcome to The Insiders by Durham Lane, an industry podcast giving you the inside track on all things B2B sales and marketing. I'm your host, Simon Hazeldean. I'm an author, sales expert and keynote speaker on all things sales and negotiation. I'm joined by my co-host, the CCO and co-founder of Durham Lane, Richard Lane. Richard, it's great to be back with you for another Insiders episode. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about Durham Lane before you introduce our guest? Hi, Simon. Thrilled to be back in the Insiders studio. Just quickly, Durham Lane, we're an integrated sales and marketing agency. What do we do? Well, we help our customers create always-on channels of meaningful, well-qualified sales opportunities that business development teams love to close. So really trying to bridge that gap between marketing and sales, demand and lead generation. Today, we're thrilled to be joined by Miguel Avalos, Google's head of B2B ads, verticals, marketing. Really excited about today's podcast. I know our listeners are going to love it. So Miguel, welcome. I'm going to hand back to Simon to get us started. Wonderful. Thanks, Richard. So, Miguel, what we always ask our guests to do is just provide a little bit of background on yourself and how you came to be in the role you're in currently so that our listeners can get to know you a little bit. Thank you, Simon. And thank you, Richard, for the welcome. I'm very excited to be here today. And thanks for the audience to pay attention uh, in their busy times. So to answer your question, Simon, I've been at Google for seven years now. It was a couple of weeks ago. I turned seven uh, and I'm originally from Mexico, born and raised. I started my career in Procter & Gamble, Latin America, then moved to the U.S. where I was doing a, an MBA. Uh, and I did some consulting projects, um, worked in New York as well. But then after finishing my MBA, I went to work in South Korea for Samsung Electronics. Very interesting, uh, working on a strategy, uh, marketing for the consumer side of business, mostly mobile, as you may know, which is Samsung's uh, core uh, business. Uh, but uh, after almost a couple of years, I moved to uh, Europe and in Europe, uh, Poland particularly, is when I joined Google. Uh, back then, Google was the smallest company I ever worked for in the context of mm-hmm. these other companies I worked before uh, in terms of revenue and in terms of number of people. Uh, but uh, seven years after, I can say that now is the largest company uh, by a lot. So that allowed me to see the transformation of the company, uh, tremendous growth, and obviously, how do you uh, how do you work in marketing B two B, and how do you need to pivot so many times because the business priority change obviously depending on how your business is evolving. The team changes as well. Uh, you know, you start with a couple of people, and then all of a sudden it becomes a, a sizable organization. So being through that evolution has given me a lot of insight that I hope can be useful for uh, today's. Uh, listeners. Uh, And to answer you more specifically, how did I get into the role? Uh, The process at Google is very rigorous in in terms of recruiting because it's quite competitive. But what I could say is that once I was able to get in, I had the opportunity to shape my role. Uh, Obviously, I started with a job description, uh, some key challenges, 
but over time I learned how to tap into other growth opportunities, uh, how to grow a team, and basically looking into ways how I can expand my footprint and, and the impact within Google and obviously externally, because we also need to have in mind that a lot of the things that we do as a company and personally is because we want to help our customers. It may sound a little bit of a cliche, but I think that genuinely I do believe that with the power of internet, we have a lot of responsibility and I have seen a lot of cases where we're helping customers to become bigger companies, to become better at digital transformation. And as a result, uh, being more successful in in, in uh, the environment that can be challenging as we are at the moment uh, facing. Uh, so yeah, that's a bit of a long answer for, uh, but it was an important uh, question to start with. Firstly, it's a very impressive world to tour, Miguel. I have to say <laughs> that's a that's a that's a trip across so many different countries as part of your career, and and I am ever so fascinated at Google ever being described as a small a smaller organisation, so which it clearly isn't now, and that's been an impressive growth. And in our pre-interview, we were discussing business growth, and uh, you mentioned to us that you think there are two key challenges that businesses face with this. I'd be uh, it'd be fascinating if you could kind of explain what you see those two challenges as. Yeah. And yeah, I mentioned that is basically uh, go-to-market and talent. And I think that the context of this is, is a couple of things. One is, you know, I, I get involved with a lot of companies across the different countries that we operate uh, in EMEA and in the rest of, of other regions as well. So I get that perspective of what are the companies struggling, uh, small, medium, less large because usually large companies are already present in multiple countries. That is number one. Number two is that even when you look at some research of what startups or scale-up organizations are facing as main challenges to, to expand is this too. I saw Insights Partners actually, they released a very interesting research where they had, I think that close to 50%, it was 48, if I remember the number correctly, 48% of people who were surveyed go to market the most important challenge to, to expand. And when you think about talent, it's, it's the same, right? Because you cannot scale if you don't have the right capabilities, if you don't have the right people in place. And then within talent, you have another dimension, which is the culture. How do you ensure that you can grow an organization, but you uh, can still maintain that culture that you define uh, uh, whatever you think that works for the company, but it's important that you keep that cohesive as part of the growth uh, for your operations or, or any any uh, expansion of, of markets. So Miguel, could you just elaborate a little further on what you personally have seen in terms of what's most important where these two areas are concerned? Yeah, this is a, this is a very good follow-up, um, Simon. I think that a lot of companies and especially, you know, new ones or founders, you may have an amazing product and you are in love with that product, but you don't necessarily have what it takes to go into, into a new market. And sometimes it can be just product fit because whatever works in the UK is not going to work in Germany or in the US or in China if you are going there. But the other one are distribution channels, right? Because there are countries in which it is more digital, it is more self-service or it can be more wholesale. So those, those change constantly depending on the region where you are. And obviously promotion as well, the way you are going to promote or talk about your product, channels that you use. Payments is another one that we have seen. Uh, you have different payment platforms. Uh, for instance, in China, you use WeChat uh, for everything, basically. 
But if you are in the UK, you have a higher penetration of credit cards. If you go to Latin America, that may not be the case. You may need to use PayPal or an equivalent of, of the local market on that. Uh, the legal framework as well is another important one because uh, the rules of what you sell, depending on the product, import, export may change radically depending on the country. Uh, logistics as well, obviously. Uh, and the last one is, is uh, on HR. Uh, and this is connected to the talent uh, piece because HR or the way you recruit is going to change substantially. Sometimes you focus more on specific schools or sometimes you need to focus on, uh, on, on third-party organizations to attract the talent that you need. And things to consider is the role-related related knowledge of what you want the person to do, but equally leadership and culture, how does that person is going to fit into the broader culture of, of your organization. Let's say that you are expanding you, your capabilities to China for the first time. You need to be very conscious that having one person from China who grew up there uh, is going to have a completely different culture and way of operating versus what you have in the UK. That's a simple example, but sometimes it can be even evident uh, within Europe. Europe is also a very diverse, uh, diverse set of, set of countries. Uh, but last but not least, you also need to think about uh, smaller things like generational differences. I mentioned that I am part of the generation where I was uh, first analog, analog and then I went to digital. You have digital first, or you may have people who are still in the workforce and, and they grew up with an analog ways of communication. So you also need to consider that and flexibility as well as location where people will be uh, operating. So this is just a bit of a list, but this is what I have seen with our customers and with our own experience. Some of the things that you really need to consider and go into the detail on how to uh, expand uh, with the right talent and with the right go-to-market. So I think in terms of, um, you know, bringing in talent into the organization, often organizations are going to be managing people now in different ways than they, they were previously, right, years ago. So be interested in your perspective, you know, managing a team. What are your thoughts on what's sometimes referred to as digital first leadership? Yeah, and I think that the way I think about digital first is because, especially new generations, they grew up with the internet. I'm still part of that generation where I grew up with an, an analog uh, communication channels and then digital came, right? So uh, I, I, like a lot of the audience, I assume that we're in between, but newer generations, they started with digital. All the interactions have been digital. So you need to cater to these digital first uh, employees or talent. Uh, and there are multiple ways that you need to consider. One is that obviously you need to have much more flexibility work in uh, remote environments. You have a lot of companies that are remote first or remote only. You, you also have hybrid. Uh, in the case of Google, we are actually three, two, three days in the office, two days uh, virtually. How we have evolved, especially post-COVID, because uh, when you are in the office, it becomes more social, and we know that, and, and you need to factor that in a little bit, because if you want to do deep thinking work, potentially that can be challenging, given that you're going to be in an environment that you don't get every day to enjoy. So you need to make sure that you build those connections. You inspire people, that you build trust as well uh, within your team and, and obviously your stakeholders. And then when you are working virtually, uh, you have more of an opportunity to design uh, your day depending on what you need to, to tackle. Personally, I'm very outcome oriented. So depending on what I want to achieve within that week, that's how I plan my calendar. And there are things in which I just 
a ruthless deprioritize because it's not along the things that I want to achieve within that week. Uh, that said, it's only these are only examples of how flexible you have to be. I think that you need to be much more flexible with your workforce. You need to be much more flexible with your time, even with your location, because even when I go to the office three, three days, you know, the days in which I don't go to the office, I can be working from home or I can be working as well from a coffee shop, from a library uh, while I'm traveling if I'm going to do some uh, some weekend trips. Uh, and that obviously requires requires to adjust into so many different things and, and that you have a good connection, right? You have as well some limitations. But I think that flexibility is is the is one of them is the probably one of the top things when you consider the digital first environment. There are other things that you also need to consider, which are uh, some of the nuances of working remotely because you obviously don't get the body language as you do when you are face to face. So you want to ensure that you probably rephrase things so your listener knows that you are on the same page or you want to reiterate something to ensure that that communication is coming across. So you have to be much more intentional about it. And even sometimes if you know you are someone who doesn't necessarily smile much, probably you may need to smile more if you want to come across uh, positively uh, with, with your team. Um, the other one is, is feedback in general. I think that uh, in more virtual environments, it's more difficult sometimes even to get people uh, to discuss things, you know, after the meeting or when you run into, um, in, into the hall while you're going into the office. So you need to find opportunities where you can be more direct with feedback. I love Radical Candor, for example, because it's a way to be direct, but supportive at the same time. So I think that this is going to be a trend as well that is going to evolve and, and that you're going to see more in successful digital companies and successful digital teams. This flexibility, this Radical Candor, and being conscious of all the nuances that this fluid environment can, can create. Richard, from your perspective with Durham Lane and in terms of digital first leadership from, from your perspective, what's your what's your take on this? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm making notes as Miguel has been talking there. I, I think there's some, some great points coming through. I, you know, we, we're, we are running a hybrid organization. We have some people that are, are fully digital being not near our, you know, our office and some that do a hybrid approach. It is the way that we now work, so we all have to embrace it. I think the word digital will probably get lost because actually it's just what we do. You know, we talk about it as being digital. Well, it's just life. And people, I think now coming into the workforce, as Miguel says, are they're used to being constantly connected. So we have to lean into that and see how we can work it. We, we've looked and are continually looking at data points around the performance of our people, depending on where they're based, because that informs so many so many business decisions for us in terms of how many offices might we need, might we not need more offices. And we've noticed very little difference between 100% remote and people that are working hybrid, which is, I think, quite interesting. Yeah, I think, um, you know, for a generation that were brought up being permanently connected, I was explaining to my son that in my first field sales role, I used to have to stop at a phone box and phone the office to get my <laughs> messages. And I think I think he thought I was lying to him. He didn't understand uh, stopping to phone and get your messages as a as a concept. At the risk of losing our audience, Simon, I used to I used to come <laughs> home from from uh, visiting one of our other offices years ago and I would unplug the telephone, plug my my laptop into the telephone to download all my emails <laughs> it's like, yeah crazy days 
So we won't spend too much time in Simon and Richard's yes. memory lane, Miguel. I'm gonna I'm gonna come back to you because I just want to connect a few things. You you mentioned the importance of talent, you mentioned culture, and also, you know, this this kind of digital first leadership. With those those kind of themes in mind, what are your thoughts on the importance of building a diverse and effective team and, you know, and how, how that impacts culture? I, I mean, I think the diversity today is a no-brainer. Uh, you know, especially I grew up in a developing environment, right, in a developing country where not necessarily all, all the women have opportunities to work, but then you realize that just, you know, by practical terms, 50% of the population is female, right? So if you don't develop that 50% of the population, then you you just get behind and it's going to be more difficult for individuals and societies to develop as a whole. So I think that definitely we need to aim to have that 50-50 and especially in the leadership, leadership roles. I think that generally speaking, in different companies and different functions, you can address the challenges at the bottom of the career or at the starting of their career. But particularly for leadership roles is where there is uh, much more uh, work to do. Uh, so I think that definitely is, is super important to enable uh, that growth for, for female uh, colleagues. Uh, but equally, I think that diversity is not only about gender, because as, as a male, I have 50% of my team who are female. And I have, I think that there is a big responsibility for us to empower women uh, who are in, in leadership positions. So I think that in general, when you look at diversity and for any listener, I, I encourage that people look at how do you contribute to the diversity of your team, obviously gender, but also non-gender. How do you empower female, but how do you empower people who are coming from uh, perhaps uh, different backgrounds, uh, from uh, socioeconomical backgrounds, uh, religious? Uh, and you need to think about equity and inclusion because you want to tap into that talent. You need to ensure that people feel safe in that environment, that they uh, feel that who they are is, is okay, like they don't have any biases. Uh, and therefore, you will be able to uh, unleash that talent in a better way. And all in all, when you think about the user perspective or the customer, it's quite diverse, right? I, I don't see a world where, for instance, at Google, we don't have that diversity internally because just our customers are coming from so many different backgrounds. So that's Super. That's one of the first elements why you need to have a diversity team, a diversity in the team, because they are going to represent as well your customer. But all in all, I think that I have seen through my career and working in different companies how having diversity within the talent is going to enable you to have a more holistic thinking. You are going to be pushed to think out of the box. You're going to understand things that probably you didn't understand before, how uh, things are done in Germany versus the UK or in France. Uh, and that's going to just, as a whole, enable your team and your organization to be much more impactful. I think it's um, it's a key area of focus and consideration, I think, for all, all leaders and all organizations. So I guess following on from that to, to a certain degree, obviously you've had quite vast international experience but as well as the cross-cultural part you've got a great experience working cross-functionally and cross-culturally with those sort of teams when you're working with a team like that or building a team like that what are the key aspects you think that our listeners should be considering i think that you need to be very aware that it's not necessarily going to be easy in the beginning i think that especially early in our careers we tend to hire people who look like us who speak like us who went to the same university as us. 
Uh, but that's no diversity, and that is already a bias. What you want to do is to bring people who actually make you feel the difference, that they are bringing that value because you want to build a culture within the team that is adding on constantly. Uh, you bring people and that is part of a bigger puzzle. You bring another individual and that's going to bring additional skills and additional perspective. So I think that number one, you have to be very conscious and intentional about building a diverse team. Once you do that, you need to start getting into understanding more what are the differences. The differences, but to find the common ground, not necessarily to exclude things, but you need to understand what is the common ground. And there are things uh, related to communication, for instance, where uh, some countries are more direct than others. Some countries are, are more indirect, uh, extrovert versus introvert. I think that, for instance, in Asia, you have people who are, it's not necessarily normal that people speak up, while if you work in the U.S., people actually speak up <laughs> rather than being asked to speak up, right? So you need to enable that communication as well when you are working with multiple multiple countries. Uh, other things uh, as well, like uh, communication cadence, how do people prefer to communicate? Uh, what is the time frame? Uh, is there in a specific channel where people communicate? Uh, there are cu cultures in which email is more important uh, or, or, or um, Slack or ping. It depends. Obviously, it's also there is a blanket with the company's organization, but all in all, you need to understand what are those differences so you can find the common ground. And in terms of cross-functional, I think that, uh, which was the second part of your question, working with cross-functional teams, I think that has to do as well, how do you find that common objective? Uh, and that can come in forms of what you want to solve for the business as a challenge with a customer, or how can you share KPIs? Uh, I think that this is the ultimate goal, actually. If you can share KPIs with your cross-functional uh, partners, it's going to always enable better collaboration and, and it's going to make the decisions less of a contradiction because you are going to solve for the common uh, KPIs. It's not an easy. It's easier to say than, than done. I recognize that. But I think that that's the ultimate goal when you have a good relationship and when you know or when you have clarity of what are the business objectives, you need to put those things on paper and measure how are you working together towards that. Yeah, which is the, the importance of the, the common focus, I think, which uh, we've we've had other guests refer to. Yeah, Richard, you wanted to just comment. Miguel, I was, I was just going to ask, clearly you're working for a forward-thinking global organization in, in Google. How does Google communicate internally? If you have a, a very top-level announcement, how does that come through? Usually it's emails. I mean, we're... Uh, we started Gmail, right? So it's not a surprise that we use email a lot and precisely Gmail. <laughs> I think that that's the main communication channel, but you will usually have follow-ups, especially for important announcements via video conference. I think that video conference just became something that is quite prominent in any tech company. So I would say those two. Yeah. Wonderful. When you were talking about the... Uh more indirect and direct cultures, Miguel. It made me made me remember my three years working for a very, very direct Dutch vice president. And as a as a more indirect Brit, I went on a bit of a learning curve about uh, about cultural differences where communication was concerned. And in terms of cross functional, obviously the podcast is a sales and marketing focused podcast. So in terms of cross functional working, I definitely got to ask you, what do you think needs to be in place for successful integration and alignment of sales and the sales and marketing functions? Yeah, that's a good one, Simon. And I think that I see sales and marketing as 
two sides of the same coin. So I've been doing B2B marketing for the last seven years, but I did sales in the start of my career. So I can talk about the two of them and I see that there are more things in common than not. Uh, obviously you have different objectives. Marketing tends to be a little bit more mid-term to long-term and not by intention, but just by the many times the things that you do, it takes time to execute and it takes time to measure till you finally see the result. While when you're working in sales, it's, it's just very easy, you know, when or relatively easier on that measurement because you go and you meet with a customer, you sign up the quota, you see the revenue reflected. So that is the starting of how you can see uh, uh, things completely different. Uh, however, I think that they are very complementary. Uh, the way I see marketing, especially in the B2B side, is a way to scale your sales team. Uh, there are, uh, you know, there, there are limitations with uh, sales teams. Uh, so if you want to reach to more customers, you need to tap into the marketing uh, into the marketing capabilities of your company so you can reach out to more customers, hundreds or thousands, uh, because with salespeople, it's tens or hundreds. So you can scale massively with marketing. To, to be successful, goes back to what I mentioned earlier, you need to share KPIs, you need to have similar goals. And if for sales is uh, having a quota of the year of X amount of uh, millions or thousands of dollars or whatever, marketing has to have a very clear role definition within what is going to be achievable for for that time frame or if you are talking about perception with customers how perception uh, is going to affect from the marketing side versus what sales is, is going to do so again you need to have those higher level go to market kpis and break them down by marketing and, and sales and last but not least what i invite our listeners is regardless of you are part of a sales or a marketing organization, just think through the eyes of the other person and you will understand way more. Uh, obviously, there are always constraints in the work environment, but if you think beyond the constraints and you think of what you want to achieve and how do you want to collaborate, that's the best partnership that you can unleash. That's wonderful. Thank you for that. And Richard, from a Durham Lane point of view, what's your, what's your take on Miguel's thinking about the sort of the timeline differences between sales and marketing. I and mean, there's really interesting comment about and how they may relate to kind of KPIs, I guess. Yeah, we talk about this a lot, don't we, Simon? And I've not heard anyone say it in quite that way before, but it's, uh, it's always maybe where the diversion starts is that people are thinking on different timescales and therefore have different activities, different drivers, different goals. And perhaps what starts as a very thin difference becomes greater as you go through. So yeah, I like that. That's uh, it's a, a, a good a good way of thinking about it. But I'm I'm always saying to people, put your feet in the shoes of the other person, whether you're trying to help them to buy from you or whether they're in a different role, you're trying to understand and build rapport with them, then you know, it's uh, it's it's a key way of, uh, of of understanding it. So think through the eyes of of the other person, I think, is what Miguel said. As Richard said, I think that's the, that's the first time we've heard it articulated in that manner. So I think there's some very, very interesting uh, food for thought there with, with that one. In our pre-interview, you, you mentioned your passion for e-commerce, and e-commerce is now part of everybody's lives in such a significant and major way. How do you see it evolving and unfolding in the future? Yeah, thank you, Simon. That's also a great question. And unfortunately, even when I work at Google, I don't have a crystal ball, although I wish, but no one has a crystal ball of, of things are going to uh, unfold. As you know, retail has been a very challenging industry since the start of COVID and obviously during and, and now after. 
because it's, it's the pulse of the economy in a way, but also you are uh, subject to so many things that are happening externally. Uh, I see uh, a lot of unpredictability because now you have inflation and inflation is across Europe, across the world, uh, supply chain issues as well that you may see more pronounced in some parts of the world, but still is something that is affecting everyone. Uh, you see, for instance, the chips, right? Like you cannot get to build phones or, or build cars, but as a result, all the things in the supply chain uh, get delayed. Uh, or then you also need to set up your team for being agile because uh, basically you need to preempt the way in which these forces are gonna be pushing the economy or your business to, to be able to pivot to new um, to, to new opportunities or to find those opportunities. Uh, if you are not able to react quickly, then you may you may lose it. And for us who are based here in the UK, I think that we constantly hear about the biggest squeeze of all these macro uh, factors coming together for winter, uh, and especially with a high energy uh, cost. Uh, obviously, disposable income is going to be a bit more challenging for some people. So it's important that as retailers, we find ways to sort this out. And there are ways. I think that like in everything, uh, they, we have seen companies who are well-prepared, who are digital ready, who are agile, uh, and, and those are the ones who can be successful. Uh, data is going to be paramount in this environment because demand is constantly shifting, so is supply. But the more data and digital tools like automation are going to help e-commerce companies to understand better trends and try to anticipate to the future. Obviously, at Google, we provide a lot of, of that, especially on the automation. But even with, our, with other companies, I think that it's important that retailers and e-commerce companies really step up on the digital capabilities so they can sort out all these changes that are going to be quite quick and quite dynamic. Uh, and that is going to help where, to understand where the demand is and obviously uh, be a successful business in what is coming very soon, uh, the peak season. Uh, and we see as well, but I have seen that a lot of customers are already shopping for Christmas. So it seems that given all the supply chain issues, a lot of uh, customers are already making their uh, list for Santa and make sure that they get all the goods delivered on time. So, yeah, it's not a crystal ball. It's quite complex, but I think that there are opportunities in there. And as soon as Google develops the crystal ball, uh, I sign me up. I'll, I'll be the first uh, customer for that one. That would be a wonderful, wonderful thing to have. Um, Richard, in terms of uh, recap for you, main main points. I know you've been, as usual, you're sitting there making notes as we go along. So what were the key things for you? Yeah, well, I think firstly, Miguel, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and experience and knowledge with us and our listeners today. It's been uh, great to hear you. I feel like we've gone on quite a journey in a relatively short period of time, which I think is uh, is kudos to you. But we started talking about key growth challenges and we looked at that go-to-market piece. We talked about talent and then also culture as being part of that talent. I think that led us really nicely on to digital first leadership and how the world has changed and will continue to change. But we've got to be one phrase that I loved was, well, we've got to be more flexible, but then we said we need to be more intentional. And I think uh, being more intentional means that we, and having radical candor, means that we're going to cut through and use our time as wisely as we can. So I thought that lots of interesting pieces in there moved us into diversity and cross-functional teams. And um, if you're not embracing diversity, then you've missed 50% of uh, of your market. So uh, that's, <laughs> if, if uh, you know, if you haven't, then there's a big challenge for everyone, particularly in these times where finding great people is is challenging. We need to feel safe to unleash talent. 
um, was a note that I made. I love that as a as a concept. And then we talked about sales and marketing, sort of familiar territory, Simon, for us in the insiders. But I like that idea of of being two sides of the same coin, but also starting to think about perhaps that timing. That timing piece is what maybe leads to the 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 divergence further down the line. So we can uh, we and our listeners can think about that some more. But if you have common goals and you share KPIs, then you should be able to bring those two strands back together successfully. And then last point, technology to help understand predictability. You know, I I always. Uh, and I've probably said on the podcast before that there is so much technology out there. Sometimes I think it doesn't help. But if you know what you're looking for and if you've planned and understood, then technology is there to help us make informed decisions. So that is my summary. Wonderful. Thank you. And Miguel, one last question, which often is the most difficult one we found for our guests. We're building the Insiders Spotify playlist and we ask every guest to add a song. A diverse collection of music. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is on the subject of diversity. It is very diverse, Miguel. There's uh, all sorts of genres. What would be your contribution to the playlist, please? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> That's a good question. I mean, because I, I actually like a lot of English, uh, you know, music bands, a uh, big fan of Coldplay. I was going to say something from Mexico, but actually I don't listen to Mexican music that much. For me, top is, I, I saw them recently, by the way, not English, but American band, Guns N' Roses, oh. and I love Sweet Child of Mine. But if you want to add diversity to the podcast, just for the sake of diversity, I will say any song from... Uh, well, Mexican Luis Miguel singer, uh, Cielito Lindo. That's for the sake of diversity, but my favorite is Sweet Child of Mine by Guns N' Roses. Well, Richard Richard couldn't decide, Miguel. So Richard, I think, has got four songs. So I think we can definitely let you have your your diversity as well as <laughs> as well as Guns N' Roses on the, uh, on the insiders. Great choices. Great choices. Thank you. So thank you very much to Miguel for joining us on this episode of The Insiders by Durham Lane. Thank you to my co-host Richard and thank you for listening in, folks. Please subscribe to The Insiders podcast on your preferred podcasting site to be notified of new episodes and visit durhamlane.com to learn more about selling at a higher level. Thanks for listening in, folks. Good luck with all of your sales and marketing activities. The Insiders by Durham Lane. Subscribe today to never miss an episode.